0: (laughs) hello 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 thank you for joining us to be our geek where everyone is a geek about something by my good friend Jaden Satia. Jaden is off gallivanting, gallivanting, and we are doing a special broadcast today from Console Room 2019. So joining me today for BR Geek, two Console Room veterans and also uh, friends of BR Geek, uh, some returning visiting guests. We will start down at the end of the table, our good friend, uh, award-winning... (laughs) <laughs> award-winning uh, illustrator, comic book fan, Doctor Who uh, expert, our good friend Christopher Jones. Hello, Christopher. Hello. Christopher, you need to st- uh, scoot up oh, on that fine, microphone for me. Fine, fine. Thank you very much. Here, yeah. I would like that. You can make it taller if you like Excellent. as well. So, oh, Christopher, we appreciate you joining us. Also, you know, we have oh. another fan and friend of the show, Be Our Geek, who is with us as well. Uh, he, has a, he is a man of very many talents, very many names, Lots of opportunities. We'll have to give out about three websites is what we'll end up having to do during this episode. Mr. Taylor Cisco. Hello, Taylor. Hi, Sharon. How's it going? It's going really well. And you are, for all of the people who are listening to us out there, I want to let them know that you are wearing a costume today. Uh, what is this? What is this? What is this that you have on? Most
1: powerful man in Westeros is <laughs> cosplaying as George R.R. R. Martin Okay. Of Game of Thrones fame, infamy.
0: You look like you've been doing the Atkins diet as Mr. Martin.
1: I mean, winter's here, so <laughs> it's a lot harder to get all those yummy butter beans. I don't, I don't actually read Game of Thrones. I'm outing myself now as a fake geek. <laughs> I only watch part of Game of Thrones episodes and piece the rest together through wikis and conversations and but I know more I, I no one knows. I guess I just out of myself, but no one can tell that I'm only a casual G O T fan. Uh,
0: but I think it's interesting <laughs> that you would then volunteer for a panel and still talk about it, even though you do not really a big <laughs> fan of the show. That part I think is a little sketch. I will tell you as your friend, I think it's a little sketchy that you do that.
1: What's well, the best way to learn <laughs> is from people who know more than you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thank you to both of you gentlemen for joining us, because I know that you are both quite busy. You have a lot of projects that are going on. Like, Christopher, I know that you are working on, you're you like all the way like, neck deep in Titans Land. How how deep are we? Uh,
2: well, th- this was Young Justice Week. And okay. I capped it off by coming to a Doctor Who convention. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I drew the tie-in comic for the animated series Young Justice. Uh, that was coming out during the original two season run of the show, and have spent the f- five years since um, since season uh, two, two ended uh, helping campaign for the return of the show and and trying to support those efforts and and then uh, trumpeting for and preparing for and cheerleading for the return of the show. Now that uh, it has been. Uh, brought back to life by the new DC Universe uh, streaming platform. And uh, we were given an opportunity, Greg Weissman uh, and I, Greg Weissman being one of the two producers of the show and the writer I worked with on the comic, um, we did a new 20-page comic installment that is set between seasons two and three. Um, and this week, uh, part one of that came out on the DC Universe streaming platform on Wednesday. Part two came out on Thursday, on um, Thursday morning at 8 a.m., the first three episodes of Young Justice Outsiders premiered, and I binge-watched those and then drove to a Doctor Who convention. Congratulations. That's, that's, that's we're very happy. That's the whirlwind that. my last several days have been. Well,
0: I know from peaking, speaking to you previously that you were kind of in limbo for a while, You know, just kind of going, okay, can we push this project along? When is it going to launch? How do I fit it into my schedule? Because you had other projects you were working on.
2: Well, so during the time that people were... Fans desperately wanted the show to return. Um, a lot of fans don't necessarily uh, have a r- clear idea of the ins and outs of how the industry works. Nor right. should they. Uh, it's very understandable. But people were like trying to bring the show back with petitions. And well, petitions are great at raising awareness for things, but everyone was fully aware that they were fans that wanted to see the show come back. Right. That wasn't the problem. They needed a, a viable business model to make it profitable to bring the show back and people were suggesting things like do a kickstarter for it <laughs> I mean, you can't do a crowdsource funding for something you don't personally own <laughs> and Greg Weissman and I did not own the rights to do the comic or the show or any of it so um so you know there were 3 years of a lot of that sort of thing of of like you know no no support the show but no that idea that you had is not really helpful uh and then finally um the show started airing on uh, Netflix, and there, it was the people watching it on Netflix that demonstrated uh, the potential demand for it as content for a streaming platform, and Netflix was interested in possibly picking it up. And there's a lot of people that I think are only now learning that Netflix is not actually where the third season is going to be. Right. But, uh, but yeah as soon as they greenlit a third season Greg and I started pushing for the idea of being able to revive the comic as well because we, we both enjoy working together and creating comics together and you know the comics are my connection to Young Justice people have been congratulating me on the show coming back and I'm like why I don't work on that show <laughs> um, and so we'd been, we'd been pushing for the show the, the comic to come back and nothing much had been happening on that front so as I, you know, as you do as a freelancer, you're you're constantly, you know, you find a gig and it runs until completion and then you're out of work and looking for work again. Right. Um, you know, every time I would take on a project, I was always sort of hedging the bet of, now you know if suddenly we get the call that Young Justice is coming back, I'm going to do everything in my power to bail on <laughs> other <laughs> things okay. and go do that, right? Um but but the timing worked out that I was actually not in the middle of a project when, uh, boy, it was barely more than a couple of months ago that I got contacted by an editor I hadn't worked with before. Really? see Okay. Saying, would you be available for a project? It's kind of a secret thing, uh, but I, we just wanted to check on your availability first. And I was like, yeah, I'm available. What's up? And then I get told, yeah, I'll be doing a new Young Justice comic with Greg Weissman. And I was... Uh, not only did I say yes, but what I didn't say was, was I was sort of thinking, what if I had said I was busy? You weren't <laughs> going to tell me what I was saying no to? Uh. I would have dropped everything. <laughs> um, but but it, w- it worked out, and you know, for now it's just this 20 pages. We still would you – know, Greg and I would love to do a full series revival of this. Um, you know, the thing about the, this new season of Young Justice is it's a full 26-episode season, And January is going to be great if you're a Young Justice fan, because we're getting three new episodes a week. Fantastic. And that will take us through the first half of the season, and then it's going to be on hiatus until June. Mm -hmm. And then June is going to be great, because we're going to get three episodes a week, and then it will be done. And even if it is so successful that at that point they decide to greenlight a fourth season, it's going to be another two-year wait until that comes out, because animation takes a while (laughs) you can't just
0: genie blink it it into existence it
2: would be great for fans i think if there was something of young justice that was part of the canon narrative of the series and you know produced by creators of the show that you know it it kept them engaged and gave them something new every month so you know we would love to see that happen we're hopeful that maybe someone will finally see the wisdom of that idea but you know it's it's not up to us. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's just like fans watching the show on Netflix demonstrated the demand for the show. Uh, now this new 20-page comic and all the previous issues we did are all available to be read on the DC Universe platform. And so, if it's popular there, hopefully that'll lead to more. So, so, yeah, that's what's been going on with me.
0: So, Christopher, I'm glad that you're really busy, and I appreciate that they finally got that all taken care of for you. And I know that Taylor has some projects as well, and he probably we will only watch the last five minutes of each episode <laughs> so that he can catch up. I
1: thought you're more the last five. I thought I'm more, I'm <laughs> the, I watch the recap in the beginning <laughs> and then go to bed, and then sure. you. Watch the end. So, so between the two, two of us, yeah. somebody that only, we're will just watch only the, the middle. middle. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> somebody that only wants the baloney in the middle of the show. So, Taylor, you were working on a book. Was, is your new book out as well?
1: Uh, yeah, it's finished now. It's, it's Congratulations. out. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Shadow of the Valley, uh, that's based on my experiences somewhat growing up. It's, it's my attempt at doing an Afrofuturistic lens, but doing it from the horror anthology. Like perspective.
0: Okay, you need to break that down and tell me what all those <laughs> words you just said mean, right? I feel like the people who are watching <laughs> us right here at console room are like, you said a lot of words. I think they're English and they don't really add up to much. So what do you mean? Okay,
1: so I'll work backwards. So anthology okay. is like a, a single tome or book that has multiple stories in it that sometimes can relate to each other, maybe not. But it's sort of like an anthology book is the same as an anthology television show. So if you watch Black Mirror, they're all Black Mirror in somewhat of the same universe, but they're different episodes right. that don't necessarily correlate to each other. So that's the same in the book. Uh, horror is should be self-explanatory, but Correct. it's scary stories. <laughs> uh, and then so as far as Afrofuturism, so the idea is that taking it through uh, the viewpoint of people with either directly from the African diaspora or who have ancestry, they can trace back, like colored people black people right so it's black sci-fi Afro i like features. that you use the word
0: colored yes. so that was like I, we can color. bring
1: colored back yes we can, we'll just, <laughs> we're gonna reclaim that one and then um but yeah so it was based on i have a lot of, i love horror as a genre and i've always wanted to write it but it's really hard to write well and uh, so it took me a while and i stayed solidly within my, my lane so to speak i was writing mostly just afrofuturistic in the traditional sense of sci-fi so hard sci-fi hard genre fiction. Uh, And then I got enough silly stories of things that scared me and then said, what's the worst case scenario if some of these things happened? So taking from some of the stuff I grew up with, like my parents were very and still are very devout uh, in their religious beliefs. And they have a lot of scary stories about why to stay uh, true to the path that they've chosen. Because, you know, there's the devil and there's demons, there's evil spirits and there's all kinds of things that can. Yes, I grew up in a
0: similar background. Mm hmm. (laughs)
1: It's like, so what's the worst-case scenario if, like, there are, like, demons and devils and exorcisms? Like, the worst-case scenario will be, like, me and my friends from high school having to be the ones to deal with it. And so that's the through line throughout the story is Shadow of the Valley is the Brotherhood of Brothers because (laughs) I love how cheesy that is that I feel like. It's like how Prince was so effeminate he became, like, the sexiest guy in the world. Right. That Brotherhood of Brothers is such a cheesy name. It comes back around to being almost cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it just loops. It laps itself. It's like, that's so, so silly, but it, it's okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I released it. It's kind of okay. It's it's selling all right. I don't know want to get too deep into that because I'm not really plugging it. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's, it was fun to write. Okay. Because the characters wrote themselves. So I literally just wrote down uh, my little four- to six-man crew that I kind of ran around with in high school and then assigned them character names. And then when I came up with the story, I was like, well, so these characters. So I was like, okay, what would – my buddy Nick do in this situation? What would Jesse be doing? How would they react to it? And some of the dialogue is stuff that we actually used to talk about. Like, Nicky is a good guy, so I won't say his last name, but he had a lot of fun with (laughs) recreational pharmaceuticals back (laughs) in the day. So he wasn't always, like, the sharpest knife in the crayon box kind of thing.
2: Keeping knives. <laughs> <at the time. laughs> well,
1: exactly. So that's a, that's the Nikki thing. But we had a really big argument. Like he w- he got very upset because he was convinced that the term for the footwear that's comprised of a rubber sole and straps is not flip flops but flick flops. <laughs> and we had to explain that that's not a thing. It's flip flop. He's like, no, it's flick flop. That's stupid. Why'd you call it a flip flop? Like, why would you call it a flick flop? Like, that's <laughs> that <seems like>
2: something <laughs> you could objectively look up.
1: Hmm? Well, this is pre-internet. <laughs> you know, this is way back in the. I mean, we had so internet, you had to start
0: a little like hood version of a focus group is what you had to do. <laughs> exactly. Is that what you're doing? You got yes. together all the folks in the hood and said, "What do you call these shoes?"
1: Right, and we were just kind of going back. And so, adding that kind of, I think it made the characters more relatable because the other books were definitely way more serious and uh, as far as characters. Uh, so, not to pluck too much, but like the first two were me, like trying to get my ideas out, trying to get the stories told. The third one, I put myself in as the main character with a terrible name, the preternaturalist. Naturalist. So, I, <laughs> Atlas Jazz is sort of like how Stephen King writes himself or how Woody Allen casts himself in all of his films. Atlas is me reacting to the end of the world and my, my cynical nature coming out like, oh, I guess we could save the world, but do we want to save the world? Because <laughs> have, have you seen the world? It's not.
0: It's a bit of the worst. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that got some positive reactions. I was like, oh, well, I'll keep adding more real influences and in people into the, into the book. And mixing them, too, so they're not too obvious. At least I hope they're not too obvious to the people they're based on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I always think it's fascinating because you're two of my friends that are content creators, but because of the way that you create this this tangible product, like you put these words down and there's some, something that has its own footprint in its life, you know, thing. I just tell words, you know, they're just words and they float away. Um, so I'm always interested when you're saying, okay, here's why I decided to do this particular character. And, and and same thing with you, Christopher, when you're like, no, these are characters that existed and here, you know, so I know this framework. But when you do your original work and you try and decide, how do you guys go this is a project that gives me passion. When you get to pick the project versus I'm doing this for a paycheck, you know, we all have those jobs. But when you're going, I want want this to have a life of its own, or I want to create something.
2: Well, I guess I'll jump <laughs> in on that grenade. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, well, I mean, very often, I mean, I, I, I wish it was as pure of a choice as you make it sound. Very often okay. you, know, you go after... What's available and what has a decent paycheck Fair me to cover my rent, but you know when there is a choice, or at least you know that when I, when I'm deciding whether I can say yes to a project or not, in addition to you know whatever paycheck is attached, uh, you know d- it, yeah, there's the combination of things that will be, by nature of what they are, will right. be Good exposure or good for my career or whatnot. It, sometimes it's an opportunity to work. With a creator, uh, you know, g- given that I tend to specialize in just doing the art in comics, it's usually you know, is there a writer whose work I I enjoy and appreciate and would would like to collaborate with? Um, sometimes, you know, when it's existing characters, it's you know that's a character I've always loved and would would enjoy getting to play with, and and there's also a sense when you get to work with an existing character of I. I'm giving something back to this character. Right, full circle of I enjoyed this, consuming it as entertainment. Now I get to to add back to the the popular culture imprint, the mythos of the character. Um, But you know, there there also gets to be things. The reason that Young Justice has continued to be such a favorite thing of mine uh, is the fact that it's it's got. This fan base that is so excited about it, and dedicated to it. Because I've done a lot of work in my career, things that I'm very proud of, but nobody saw. So, <laughs> um, and, and that, you know, that I, hurts I, your heart a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, well, I, heck, I've even done comics that, for one reason or another, never came out. The first, the first gig I, uh, the first two things I ever did for Marvel in my career. Neither one of them ever saw the light of day. Really? The very first thing I ever did for Marvel was, uh, it's what they call a custom comic. It's when a third party comes to Marvel Comics. In this case, it was the Department of Energy. Okay. And said, we want, uh, we want a comic as part of this educational campaign we're doing, and we want it to feature Iron Man. Okay. And, and we, wa- we're, it's, we have all these talking points about renewable energy that we want to cover.
0: So by an Iron Man meets Captain Planet? Well, no, by, the time
2: <laughs> it, by the time it came <laughs> to me, it was a 12-page story where Tony Stark is running an expo on renewable energy <laughs> and, of course, MODOK attacks. <laughs> and steals some new prototype battery and Iron Man has to fight him. But in the course of it, they talk about reasons for renewable energy and why we're pursuing it and some of the areas of technology that we're looking at and all that stuff, and that's great. <laughs> and I drew it and I got paid and to my knowledge they never produced this book for whatever reason. Um and you know I, I would mention it to friends and they're like but you got paid, right? I'm like well yeah, I'd be a lot more upset if I hadn't gotten paid, but right. you know, when you do when you create a piece of art, you want it to reach an audience. Right. It's very unsatisfying if that art doesn't
0: If it's just sitting someplace.
2: Um, And, you know, the the, the next thing was a Spider-Man story that it was for for an all-ages Spider-Man book that Marvel was doing at the time. And it was created as an inventory story. An inventory story is when they like to create an extra story just sort of put on a shelf so if they're having deadline issues, they can just schedule, you know, they'll, they'll take this completed story off the shelf, insert it into the schedule and it buys the regular creative team a month back in their their deadline schedule. So
0: when you do an, uh, an inventory thing like that, do you know that it might not get published?
2: Well, I mean, I knew it was an inventory story, so I knew it wouldn't get published right away. Usually things like that get used eventually because they've, paid for them right. already. Right. Gotcha. Uh, it would just be wasteful to not eventually use it, but the problem was that they ended up kind of retooling what this book was in a way that before they ever got around to using My Story, it no longer really fit into what the book was. Ah, fair enough. Anymore, and so I mean, it, it presumably is still sitting on a shelf somewhere <laughs> metaphorically speaking. And eventually somebody might find used, it and go dust it off. But I'm not, I'm not holding off. my breath at this point. <laughs>
0: Well, Taylor, because a lot of your things, like, I don't want to say it's self-published, but you get to kind of push the issue.
1: I, I mean, well, for me, it's kind of the opposite problem where it's the path of leaf resistance. Um, I do have the, the luxury because I have a very, uh, I have a day job, so to speak. Right. Uh, so I can kind of step back and do things because so I love it. But the things that take off are the ones, it, it's backwards. Like, I, every book that I've, all the, that I've written started as a treatment. as a a proof of concept, a film script, in the case of the first one, Teleportality, and I've told that story many times. It's on the website and everything. I mean, that took 13 years to become a book because for that previous decade, that was originally, it was a film, uh, and then it turned into a treatment for a series, then it turned into a pilot script, and then I was pitching around a few networks, and over all this time, it never got any traction. The closest I got was a couple of meetings with a couple of executives, a couple of different networks, but it always kind of bounced back. So finally, I was like, well, well, screw it. I'm still going to make it because I'm doing it for me, but I can't take it down this this path. This won't be a televised story, which has then become my <laughs> curse. Where all of my novels start, I'm never <laughs> like, "Oh, this would be great to read about." I'm like, "This is what I want to watch." Uh, from Dragon Variation, I was like, "This would be a really cool like miniseries for like a Netflix type platform where I can do like a quick six episode, like ninety forty five to ninety minute per episode miniseries." And they weren't really interested, so I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna waste." this outline I have so I'm going to turn that into a narrative and the same thing with naturalist. I was like this is my chance to redo sliders the right way right? Uh, sort of do <laughs> <laughs> like, an episodic funny sci-fi thing that's lighthearted, but also kind of cynical and serious and the same thing uh, and then conversely
0: I the think s- it's funny that you just pooped on sliders I kind of like <laughs> I, sliders I love sliders
1: <laughs> that's why I to do it the right way
2: sorry to all the sliders <laughs> I know. in the audience. we're all like so
0: butthurt now because you just pooped on them like that and,
1: and then it's the backwards that's how,
0: ta- that's how Taylor is he likes Side is like side, side eyes, and like hates just a little bit. Like I'm like, did you just drop a little hate nugget I on something? Enjoy Everybody who knows you just looked at him like that. That is very Taylor Cisco. He would just like drop a, a like a <laughs> like just a touch of like like a bullion cube of hate on something, and then move on like he didn't just hate on it. Like
1: I do <laughs> I do love sliders. That was not the intent. Um, but then but it's backwards. So all of my success in, in television has been the opposite. Like I would love to write nonfiction works i love history i love physics especially like quantum physics particle theoretical physics uh plane geometry so advanced mathematics and how that applies to like philosophical concepts that's the stuff that no one is interested in me writing but then i pitch nonfiction shows and then they get picked up i mean the reason why dinner time's on the air now is because amazon and i or amazon studios and i went back and forth for about seven years uh, and everything I sent, they always had the same response, so like, "Oh, well, that sounds cool, but what else do you have?" Which right. is the, the way the network's saying, like, "You know, f you, like, we don't <laughs> want it." <laughs> like, "Oh, that's that's nice, that's nice. What what else do you have?" Uh, and then finally, with dinner time, which is, again, it was just again, is an idea that would have been a great book. That I said, "Well, let me see what Amazon thinks, just in case." And then, boom! Or even going back, like, further in my my television career, things like Twin Cities Live and right. and all those other programs, Crime Watch and. On the on the uh, on the move and stuff like that, yeah, those were really like kind of I won't say they're throwaways because they're decent programs. I stand behind my work. I'm proud of it, but they definitely were surprises. It's like everyone wants my nonfiction television content. No one wants my fiction television content. And you're like, boo. And then the two nonfiction books I've written are kind of like collecting dust on the virtual shelf because those sales are significantly higher for all the speculative fiction, afro fiction stuff. And it's like these are great movies. This is OK TV, but it'll be a great book. We should swap <laughs> them. But the network's <laughs> like, no, nah, no, nah, nah, you gotta. So it's, it's a weird, I mean, I'm still happy that it's out there because it's definitely a position that I know a lot of people, and I sound ungrateful which is not the case. I know a lot of people are trying to get their content on the air or in print or whatever, so I'm happy that I'm able to get that far. It is just a little oddly bittersweet and very confusing. Right. Where I'm like, I thought I know what I'm good at, but maybe I don't know. So <laughs> the path of least resistance, though, is that's, that's the satisfaction.
0: Well, we're here at Constance in <laughs> 2019, and I thank you both because I am here because of the two of you had reminded me that I should do that this year. So uh, I just want to know, since we are on the, uh, we're, we're doing this recording on the final day, Uh, of it so let's start back do you have some favorite stories of what you have experienced here at console room 2019 so far (laughs) both (laughs) of you race to the microphone (laughs) here's here's
2: the thing so when 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 I do conventions you know friends will ask me what a weekend was like when I do any number of the conventions I do And, you know, I I don't tend to see most of the convention because I'm at my table. Correct. For the bulk of the weekend. So, you know, what my con experience was is not a useful metric for what (laughs) anyone else's (laughs) con experience would be. And, you know, they'll hear that you went to a convention in some particular city. And they're like, oh, how was it? Well, I can tell you about the convention venue and my hotel room and the three restaurants I went to. And that's about (laughs) all I have to offer. Um, But... uh, so uh, the the two uh, actor guests that are here this weekend are uh, Neve McIntosh, who played Madame Vastra, and Katie Manning, who was the third Doctor companion, Joe Grant. And they are both <laughs> wonderful. Katie Manning is a force of nature. Quite <laughs> yes. so. Katie yes. Manning, you know, they, sh- they should have like news alerts like there's an oncoming hurricane. Like, Katie Manning has been sighted and we'll be making <laughs> landfall at 8 p.m. Yeah. this evening. Um, and
0: she's like 72 now, and as a woman, she gives me breath. I'm all like, that is the goal. That's what I want to be when I'm 72. I want to walk in a room and have everybody go, obviously, we need more oxygen in this room because I took up what there was here. Oh. And like, she's a fantastic yeah, person. As a
1: guy, for me,
2: The <laughs> most <laughs> memorable incident moment that I've had so far this year is um, – I. I was sitting in the lobby uh, talking to some friends after opening ceremony on Friday. And I had just met and had a chance to chat with Katie Manning briefly at opening ceremony. And she left the hotel briefly. I'm not sure if it was to get dinner or what exactly. But as I'm sitting there talking to friends in the lobby, uh, Katie, wa- uh, Katie walks back in uh, and, and sees me and walks straight towards me. As like, oh, I see you're holding court now, darling. <laughs> <laughs> and walks up behind me, drapes her arms sort of over and around me, and proceeds to talk to everybody in the group that i <laughs> had been conversing with, with her head sort of resting on mine, and she's sort of massaging my shoulders. You had a Katie and Manning cape, like, Christopher. I had, like, it was like an <laughs> out-of-body experience. Um,
0: so she, like, she was like your backpack for a moment? It wasn't...
2: <laughs> Unpleasant. It wasn't. <laughs> I, I wasn't like you know costumes are not consent any of that. <laughs> it was just I, I got Katie manhandled and it was love it. It, done. it was <laughs> spectacular. I mean the the woman. I, I think there's no shortage of witnesses here that will tell you that she is the most extreme hugger. Yes. that I have ever encountered. Very I think much so. I, I'm tempted at closing ceremony to be like, is there anyone here? that didn't get hugged yet this weekend by Katie. <laughs> All right, stay standing. Katie, come <laughs> on. I mean, yeah, she's, she's been amazing, and it's been a delight to meet her this weekend.
0: And Taylor, I know you had a, a very uh, interesting experience with Ms. Manning as well yesterday. Oh, when you, Because yeah. Taylor had the opportunity to uh, actually do an interview on the main stage with Katie, and what happened during that? Would you like to relay the story? Because if not, I will.
1: Oh, I, I mean, you you might have to. I'm still trying to process it. Too <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, first yourself. of all, I was on the stage uh, with, with Neve right before. So I did have the experience of like the backstage interaction of Katie blustering <laughs> through. And I'm like, for such a tiny woman, she takes up so much space. It's amazing. And I'm like, I need to be like that. And so she comes running in. I did get that hug. And I'm like, who's hugging? Oh, wait, it's Katie. Okay, you're allowed to hug me. Because the hug comes up on you so rapidly <laughs> that it gives you a minute to process who is hugging you and then to go well, this is acceptable. Okay, fine. You are allowed <laughs> to do that. And so as I'm walking to the front of the auditorium, because I was going to watch Taylor and Katie do their interview, she comes out. Taylor was not in his George R.R. Martin costume. He was in, like, a TARDIS blazer yesterday, right? Yes, yes, yes. They get out on stage. Taylor introduces her. She comes out, immediately comments on the fact that he is incredibly handsome talks about his TARDIS costume, and then says, so, are you larger on the inside? And that is when Taylor, my friend, who has the most words of any (laughs) friend I know, lost all words. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it took quite some time. Katie basically had to do her own interview because Taylor couldn't talk.
1: It did take me a while to catch (laughs) up. It did. I mean, my experience with interviewing... uh over people, like, in my past as a news journalist, it's, like, you got to make them comfortable, and so doing geek stuff. So, like, last year at comic Room, I interviewed Catherine Stewart, yes. who plays Jenny Flint, one of the Paternash gang, and so I came up with a bunch of questions, because when they do the convention circuits, they're getting a lot of the same questions right. from, like, the fans at the signings, from the other interviews. They do multiple interviews per con. So I was like, well, let's try some fun stuff. So, like, last year, Katrin Stewart taught me how to say naughty words in Welsh, which is her native language, and <laughs> we had some fun with that. So I had a bunch of questions... For Katie Manning that were, I thought, a little bit more unorthodox that would, you know, keep her comfy in case there was any hesitation. Because I hadn't met her yet at right. that point. I kind of had seen her, but I also get, I mean, if you, well, you can probably attest to this, too, and definitely uh, Christopher Jones has experienced this firsthand. <laughs> I'm the ultimate fanboy. Like right. If I meet someone I, I'm, I'm even, like, casually impressed by or like anything they've done, I kind of tend to shut down in general. <laughs> we and were I commenting
0: <laughs> on that before you got here, that that is basically your interview style, that you kind of come someplace and then fanboy on them. Because they... <laughs> We did have that discussion before you got here. I'm like, yeah. Did you guys see his interview yesterday with Katie Manning? Did he fanboy? I'm like, yeah. That's what Taylor does. Like
1: I think I, I think I, I, I dialed it back a <laughs> little bit because there's like the stage and there's people watching, so I have to like tone it down. Like personally interact, like it took me a long time to even be able to speak to, to Christopher Jones because I knew Chris Jones through his work. Well, my and then people kept <laughs> you at a distance. <laughs> well, entourage I travel with. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's hard to come up with a con story, though, because it's right. part of that sort of ultimate fanboy uh, thing or just, like, most hyperactive fanboy. maybe Mountain Dew commercial in the 90s type fanboy. <laughs> I do try to stay really, really active. I think I've done 12 panels so far this weekend. I've got a couple more today before it's over, so I'm just keeping it going. Going, going, going. Uh, so, usually like, in about a week, I'll be able to kind of look back, like, oh, that was super cool, or, mm-hmm. like, that was great. Uh, I mean, everything has been awesome. My best console room story so far has just been – Getting to council room and seeing people, or maybe Neve, I'll say Neve, Neve McIntosh backstage, seeing Mike Blazer and coming to talk to me like right. I'm a, like like she's a person or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're freaking mad ambassador. You can't I can't just talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> just like ah she was, yes.
0: But Sorry. I think that <laughs> that you know for anyone who is always looking for a reason on you know because I think people are always surprised like you know, oh there's local cons there's this like there's friends of mine who know that I'm into these kind of things so like well what are you doing this week and we're going go, I'm like I'm at this con and they just always seem a little amazed that these things exist and why we go and attend. And that's what I always tell them. I'm like, if you're a fan, even casually, like to be in a hotel full of like-minded people and to be able to have those interactions and talk to people about different things. And, and you know, the fact that they're like, oh, well, I don't like Doctor Who like that. I'm like, I was talking about... Great British Baking Show to people. Or I was talking about Lego Cinematic Universe with some friends. Like, there's other things that you talk about, and they just don't understand that that's what we do here, and that it's like, well, no, whatever you're into, that's probably there as well. And somebody will sit You can go, if nothing else, just go to the bar. And I kind of use that as an entry level to any con. I'm like, if it's in a hotel, go to the lobby bar and just hang out and see what's up. And you can just kind of lurk. Yeah. for a while and lurk and just kind of see what it's like and if you're not a dress up person you don't have to if you just want to just see who else is there that's a good way to just kind of like dabble
2: Yeah, you know the it is so different in 2019 you know the, the science fiction and comics and all this stuff are a lot more mainstream than they used to be and I think fans can stay connected to the, that culture of like minded fans with the, the social media and all that but when i was a kid the f- the first comic book convention i ever attended i think i was maybe 11 years old and it was such a horizon expanding experience for me to see that there were so many other people and and adults right that loved this stuff the same way i did and that there was this thing you could go to where the fans are there the people that make it are there and there are human beings that make this stuff right and and that they're you know, you could go up and talk to them like anybody else. And, like, it was just, it was such a transformative experience. And I think even now when, when as I say, it's more mainstream than it used to be and you could talk on social media and, you know, all that. But there is something about taking that to the immersive level. That Correct. Convention That's that
0: fantastic to say it that way. Yeah, because you can build, I, I agree, with you because we're the same age where it's about, you know, before, if you wanted to build that community, all you had were cons, and now you can find it online and find more like-minded people and have that interaction there. But it's still not the same as coming here and going. Wait, there's more of me and seeing it. You know, and knowing that we are all, you know, the diversity that you see it in. It's like, oh, you know, every s- shape, size, age, you know, you know, gender is here. You know, and going, we're all, but our our commonalities are because we want to talk about these things that are important to us. Well, you
2: used to hear more about fan clubs. Right. And I think that's because that was, you know, in the pre-social media age, the only way you really had to connect with the other people with those shared passions. Um, But now there's so many other channels, and it's not that the fan clubs are gone entirely, but I I think they don't... they are now part of a landscape as opposed to, like, that was the only game in town. Right. Um, so now, yeah, I mean, if you are into, pick a TV show or book series or, you know, whatever it is, um, you have so many opportunities to stay connected to people that love that with no limitation of the geography of who's in your immediate area. Right. That It's, it's amazing. So, it's so yeah, it's wonderful. What's limitless
1: with the cons, I think that's the weirdest thing because I'm I'm again, similar era. So, back in the day, to talk about comic books, what we had was we didn't have fan clubs so much, but we'd go to the actual comic book store, and that was as much a hangout as like a coffee shop was when those became popular a little bit later. But then eventually, you did have to go home, and we'd still stay in touch, like we still (laughs) we still talk on the phone, or like we knew if we had friends from school, we could talk at school, but there's always this and then, but the cons at least for that brief moment, whether it's a two-day con, three-day con, whatever, or a week-long con, it is 24 hours nonstop where the comic shop never closes and you never have to go home. That's beautiful. Which is kind of, oh, you yeah, like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I, like that. I couldn't make <laughs> it to
0: your, like, a, your midnight panel that you had last night, I Taylor. Taylor. How did make that it go? To that midnight panel.
1: <laughs> I know I was there physically. Because
0: <laughs> um. you are such a marathon man of panels. You're amazing. That's why
1: that, that comic store, I never want the comic book store to close. Sometimes the detriment last, uh, yeah, yesterday that last panel was the roughest because at some point uh, I tried to replace all of my nutrients with whiskey. Oh, um, glorious yeah, I, decision. I, I had breakfast.
0: Wonderful decision, Cisco. And then Cisco. whiskey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nonstop. stop I, my body eventually was like you. You are not in your twenties anymore. Don't don't do that. Oh gosh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, that is usually most of my bad life choices come from. And then I went from whiskey uh, from wine to whiskey, <laughs> and nothing ever good comes from that decision.
1: I mean, it was apple whiskey, so it's like, oh, there's fruit. That's it's you good. thought that that would be nutritive? <laughs> there would be some sort of nutritive
0: value to that decision-making. <laughs> um, How did your, um, your, your trivia go last evening?
1: Uh, I thought trivia went really well. We always kind of change it up although So we do the pub trivia, which has a very – the pub trivia format. We have rounds, and then after each round we collect tally sheets, and then we start uh, tabulating the scores. Uh, but we change it up because it is a convention, so we have people who drop in. There's not necessarily teams, and so it's more of a game show format. And it seemed really positive, a lot of engagement from the audience, a lot of participants – Uh, a lot of laughter that's kind of how laughter is fantastic
0: and that was why uh, i mean when you think about you know when when we're trying to explain to people what we do at cons and it's trying to explain well like for instance like chris you we can go find you in the dealer room and we can actually see your art and i always encourage people to do that because if you're gonna buy people presents for their birthdays or holidays or something they can go to target on their own you know you don't need to go there i'm a fan of target but you can do that at any given time but if you can come someplace and actually go there's a story and something behind getting something at a place like a con where if you're giving it to somebody and going well there's a reason why i did it or i got to talk to the artist and i got to to hear why they created this i'm always a fan of encouraging people to go and do that you know, and you know, and, and even like as a performer, like we did a variety show last night, and so there was a you know, a musical duo before uh, me, and they got to do. Uh, they're called Slitherpuff. You guys should all see them if you ever see them out here that they are performing. Make sure you go see them. They are fantastic. Two uh two wonderful ladies that I met at Convergence that uh, performed last night, and then I got to tell jokes. And it's nice to be able to perform in a different setting for a different group of people and take it out of what the framework that you normally do things in and go, no, I'm, you know, I'm presenting this material in a different way for a different audience so it's like they're, you know, trying to explain to people that there are such a variety of things. Because if you haven't been to a con, even if you like our subject matter, I think people have this interesting perspective of what we do. And I think it's always funny because there seems to be polar opposite decisions, you know, I mean, uh, descriptions of it. They either think, wow, that's a bunch of geeks and all, they they never came out of their their basement before and this is how they go and they act. And they think it's just super, super, like, non. Typical and they just are surprised that we even managed to get together and leave the house or they think it's orgies and I think it's funny that there's nothing in between like why is there no like I'm like it kind of is in the middle a little like we just kind of hung out and had drinks like what normal people do. But I'm like, I think it's funny that they give us either no credit or all the credit, like all the
2: credit. Yeah, usually there is an additional like VIP charge for the orgy events. Oh yeah, see, that's uh, probably why I miss them is that I never get the extra package. Yeah, always, always pays (laughs) to get the VIP package. (laughs) Indeed.
0: I'm like, I'm like, which room party was that? I didn't go to that one. So. (laughs) <laughs> I miss that one. I always miss uh, that one. That was a wrong room party. I was hanging out with the My Little Pony people. I didn't know that there was that yeah, room party.
1: Bronies for Life. <laughs> um, no, I think a big part, too, is there's no depictions of con life that are really accurate in a mainstream oh, facility. Oh, man,
2: every time a TV show does Rap, the Let's right? Go to a Sci-Fi <laughs> Convention episode, I mean, I realize there's the, there's the logistical budgetary limitations right. of trying to create or recreate... Of space of that scale and the issues with all the different brands that you'd be depicting. and like, So I, I get that. But just even the tone. Yeah. <laughs> like, was this written by somebody who's ever attended one of these things? That's right. not... Uh, no. Like
1: the closest would be like this, the Nat X scene in Chasing Amy. That tiny little What's a Nubian Black yeah. Rage? That's probably the closest because it showed a panel, and then they went to the bar, and then they kind of yeah, showed so writers like, at their some tables. Of the
2: conversations in that yeah. ring true in a way. I <laughs> <seen> <laughs> but <laughs> um, that's enough. it. That's
1: really the only major pop cultural depiction.
2: There is an episode of the the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series that's at a science fiction convention, and one of the one of the characters in it who is like annoyed with having to deal with all these weird science fiction geeks. <laughs> is played in the episode by Renea Bergeron. I was yes. you know, you get, you yes. get used to this. Because <laughs> this will be your future.
0: You didn't know that, but it will be. Yeah. So, gentlemen, we have to start wrapping up, but I want people who were not able to come and see you at Console Room actually find you out in the wild. So, Christopher, let's start with you. What's the best place for them to find you?
2: Well, if you go to my website, which is ChristopherJonesArt.com. Mm-hmm. Not only do I, I post there when I remember to, but uh, more <laughs> importantly... Uh, it has links to all my other social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Uh, and it has a list of my upcoming uh, convention appearances. Uh, I'm going to be at Emerald City Comic Con and C2E2 in Chicago and Convergence here in July. And Excellent. later in the year, New York Comic Con and a bunch of others. So you can find that all there.
0: Wonderful. And, Mr. Sisko, which of your <laughs> 75 uh, <laughs> projects and websites would you like to talk about first?
1: I got to narrow it down. It's really just two. Okay. It's I only two now. Yes, yeah, okay. just two. Like TC, I try to keep them separate. So, tctrack.com. Okay. I'm sorry, tctracktrivia.com. Mm-hmm. It has all the information about our monthly Pub Trivia. So, we have T.C. Trek Trivia, which is all things Star Trek on the second Wednesday. And Wibbly Wobbly Wednesday is so everything Doctor Who every month at the Driftwood Charbar. That's just TCtrektrivia.com. Uh, And the other one is B-L-K-I-N-T-L, or Black Intellectual, but dot com That has all my work as far as, like, the books that I've done, where I'm doing readings and appearances. And then from that, you can link to and find my production studio and and find out all Dinner Time, which airs on Amazon Prime Video. If you have Prime, it's free. It's a pretty groovy show. Uh, But you can find all that information at blk. B-L-K-I-N-T-L. And is your band
0: doing anything anytime soon?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. We're getting ready. We're getting ready to record our next EP. Nice. (laughs) For
0: anybody who's not familiar, (laughs) Mr. Cisco also has a band. He is our uh, Minneapolis version of Hootie and the Blowfish. It's fantastic. Absolutely, and you should always look at his website because I'm not saying, I agree with Katie that he is a good-looking gentleman, he is, but he looks super swole in all of the photos that he has there. I'm all like, you lift a lot yeah, and Photoshop. eat nothing but chicken breasts right before you do the photo shoot and then make all your other bandmates look tiny. Photoshop
1: is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never understood the power of posts. <laughs> uh,
0: and you can always find information about us by going to Be Our Geek on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We post all of that information. We also encourage you to like us on iTunes. And if you have any suggestions, a good way to get a hold of us is through social media. If you have any suggestions on who should be our guest geeks, we are always looking for information and other people who want to uh, come on and share what it is that makes them squee. And so I am Miss Shannon. I appreciate Chris Jones and Taylor Sisko for joining us here in our console twenty, Console Room 20 edition of be our geek and of course gentlemen i will make sure that i bug you quite often you will be on again right absolutely all right well we appreciate everybody for listening uh for listening to us and we will be back next time thank you for being on be our geek
3: (gasps) to be your best every day you need proven quality sleep every night